Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Diane Estabrook, staff writer for McKnight's Home Care Daily. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a phrase we hear a lot about these days. DE&I not only help enhance a company's brand, they can also lead to better customer service and patient care. Additionally, DEI plans are becoming a very important recruitment tool in attracting younger workers and people in underserved communities, such as the LGBT community. As a senior partner with the global management consulting firm Corn Ferry, Andres Tapia has helped Fortune 500 companies and small businesses craft DEI plans. Recently, we spoke about what these plans are and why every company today needs one. Ultimately, organizations of all sizes and all industries are grasping the importance of having a more diverse workforce, a more inclusive environment with equitable results. And so a plan to achieve all those things is one that addresses not only what to do, which we can talk about, but what might be getting in the way of being able to get those things done. So a DEI plan is really a declaration of why is this important for the organization? What are the outcomes it wants to achieve on the E, diversity, on the I, inclusion, on the E of equity? So basically declare its current state, but then the plan will not work unless you have an honest conversation and examination of where you are now. So the plan then is where do we wanna go? Why do we wanna get there? And where are we today? And therefore what's gonna take us to where we have said we wanna land. So who needs a DEI plan? We know that a lot of large corporations have them in place, but do smaller companies need them? Or is size even a factor in this? Oh, everybody needs a plan. I mean, if you're gonna have a little party or a big party, you need a plan, right? In my work with my colleagues, we've done companies of half a million people and we've done organizations of 50. (laughs) And they all need a plan (laughs) because going back to sort of what is a DNI plan, if you don't know why you're doing this, where you want to go and where you are, then it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be haphazard. It's going to be ineffective. So once you've made the decision that you want to put a DEI plan in place, what are your first steps? Is there a blueprint that every company can follow, or is each plan unique to that company? I think both things are true. There is a blueprint, and I'll give you some elements of that. But in the end, the plan is unique to every organization. Because once you answer those three questions about why you're doing this, where do you want to go, and where you are, well the path forward is going to be very specific to your size, to level of maturity, to your readiness, to your budget, and all those things. But what are the elements of a blueprint? In our work at Corn Ferry, like a good reduction for all you foodies out there, we've been able to boil down, you know, what are the key elements down to their essence, right? What are the key ingredients? And there are four. One is you need inclusive leaders. You need leaders that understand why this is being done, that are committed to getting it done, who hold themselves accountable and therefore they hold the organizations accountable to make it happen. And that's not just about an attitude of openness, that's a, a intellectual understanding and it's a commitment in terms of being relevant to the, who the organization is and having the 
skills and capability to drive it forward. So that's one element is inclusive leadership. Two other elements that I'll put together, but they're independent, is about inclusivity. Uh, we like to talk about behavioral inclusion and structural inclusion, and you have to address both. So behavioral inclusion is what most of your listeners will relate to. That's a place of awareness that we have unconscious bias, or are we allies? Um, are we knowledgeable about the particular headwinds that people who are gay or with disability or a different race or, you know, women or whatever the case may be that where they're underrepresented? Do we understand some of the particular headwinds that they face in an organization? And behaviorally, am I tuned in and, and interacting with people in ways that are not biased, either consciously or unconsciously? But that's not enough. You have to also address the structural inclusion part. And what we mean by that is all those systems of how you hire people, how you onboard them, how you coach them, how you assess their performance, how you reward them, how you help them develop to, to advance to the fullness of, the, of their potential, those are systems. And even small organizations have systems about how to do that. And here's the, why structural inclusion is important. Who builds those systems? if not for people like you and me, full of unconscious biases. And so now we have systems that inadvertently have codified in a systemic way the very unconscious biases that we have in our interpersonal reactions. So we have to address the structural thing. And the metaphor I'll give you is traffic management. You need be good behavior and you need good new structure. You need, you know, drivers that are not, risky, you know, that are careful, that are conscientious, who are safety conscious. You need all those behavior mindsets, but you also need the structure. You need stoplights and bike lanes and right turn lanes, right? And you need both things to work together. In an organization, you need the behavioral and the structural to work together to create the inclusive environment. And then the final fourth element is the change management and sustainability element. So many DNI initiatives flame out because there's a really cool training there's a cool event and it's cool and it's great and it's important but there's no systemic way to make the dni part of your dna and so how do you then make it part of your business practices or your nonprofit practices that this is how part and parcel of how we actually operate and we hold people accountable to it we reward them accordingly or not and it's just part of our ethos and our culture. So inclusive leadership, behavioral inclusion, structural inclusion, and change management sustainability. I just want to go back to something you mentioned. You talked about onboarding. How might I have an onboarding process that might not be inclusive to somebody who is a person of color or perhaps LGBT? You know, so many companies come to us saying, help us bring more diversity in the door. You know, and as you know, Corn Ferry has the executive search and search side, and I'm on the advisory side. But we work together because one of the questions we ask our clients, we'll help you get the diversity, but are you ready for it? Because we want to make sure that 12, 18 months from now, that person that you work so hard to bring in the door, it doesn't go right out the door because they not feel included. So let's talk about how ready are you for this very diversity that you're asking for, because it's not just about a matter of people that look different. It's a matter of people that think and behave different. And are you ready for that? Um, and so let's talk about um, an inclusive onboarding process. 
that really takes into account, she might be the first one female in a leadership. You know, he, he or she or they may be the first person of color or the first out gay person, right? Or the first person with disability who was also out because a lot of disabilities are, are uh, invisible. And, um, you know, is the environment ready for that outlier in terms of how they look and how they think? And, you know, and are they ready for the diverse, the, the diversified thinking and approach that you have said you want? But it's not automatic that the, the system will accept them wholeheartedly because they'll say things like, oh, we don't do that here. Oh, you don't understand. Or you haven't been here long enough. You know, or what were you thinking? As opposed to, wow, we've never done it that way. Tell us what you're thinking. Have you seen that work? Why did you bring that up? You know, how can we make it work here? Because we have these barriers. That's a very different tone. And so you have, so onboarding is not just, here's your benefits manual and here's the restroom, right? It's about, here's how we do things, but we are looking forward to having you influence us on how we do things because that's what we're looking for. You talked about um, some of these companies will put these plans in place and then they flame out. When you do put together a DEI plan, should you have something in there that allows you to measure the progress? And and how often should you do that if you are able to include something like that? You know, success organizations, none of them succeed without metrics. What, What are you trying to achieve? You know, it might be financial metrics, it might be employee retention metrics. It might be the diversity of workforce metrics. It might be customer satisfaction metrics, healthcare outcome metrics. We know the power metrics, and that helps us then determine, you know, are we achieving the, the reason why we exist? So DNI is no different. You know, so that's why the why, when we asked about the blueprint, and I said the very first question, you got to answer why. Answer that why. And once you have that why, then you can develop the metrics. And the metrics are the things that will help you know if you're achieving. So when it comes to DNI, the metrics become very simplistic. How many women do we have? How many black, Latino, Asian, you know, maybe gay, people with disability? And those are important metrics, but they're sort of more representation, they're, they're metrics of what you got, but they're not really metrics of what you're doing with what you got. So I like metrics that, yeah, look at representation, that's a a vital thing, but I like the metrics that then say, and did we have better customer service because of our diversity, right? Do we enhance our corporate brand or our nonprofit um, reputation? You know, are we providing better patient care because of our diversity inclusion, right? So kind of like the what metrics, you know, what is our diversity, but, more of the outcome-based backers, which get to answering the question of the why. So once you have the plan in place, I have to think that employee buy-in is tremendously important for this to exceed. So how do you get employees to buy into these plans? Well, Dan, if I could turn that around a little bit, and maybe it's implied, but I don't want it to be implied. How do you get leader buy-in? And how do you get manager buy-in? Because without leader buy-in or manager buy-in, you don't get employee buy-in. And many times that those two, leader buy-in and manager buy-in, get overlooked and we focus on the employees. But employees are shaped by their leaders and they're shaped, you know, and they're influenced by what the managers declare is important or not. 
right now, not only right now, but for the longest time, we've had an easier time getting employee buying all the time. The employees are where your diversity sits and they're the ones clamoring for it. So they're bought in. And over the last eight to 10 years, we've been getting more leader buy-in because they're starting to understand the why of innovation and driving results and brand reputation. But the big, big barrier is manager buy-in. And why is that? Because leaders sort of assume that once the leader has made this big declarative statement that diversity is important, they've assumed that the managers are going to sort of embrace it. But you know, managers are the transactional players in your organization. They're the ones who have to keep the lights on every single day. They're the ones that have to deal with production lines that you know are falling behind, or absenteeism, or sick days, or COVID, or you know, or, or supply chain. So their priority is not the big strategic imperatives or the big values-driven initiatives that the leaders are embracing. Their priority is to keep things running. And so many times these initiatives fail because the leaders from the top and the employees from the bottom squeeze the managers with these big expectations of having more diverse and employee base and more inclusive environments. But we've not been empathetic to the manager's bandwidth. We have not made the why relevant to the managers. There's one thing to have a why, oh, we're gonna enhance our corporate reputation or we're gonna expand to new markets. Well, your day-to-day manager doesn't care about expanding new markets. They care about, I got, I got some quotas to fill here in terms of production or getting things out. So what, what is the why for the managers? The why for the managers is that, are you having a hard time with talent supply? Everybody is, labor shortage. Well, what part of the why is that we're gonna diversify our talent pools to tap talent pools that we haven't tapped before, but we need to right? Whether it's racially, ethically, or one classic one is people with disability, veterans. These are big untapped talent pools with great talent, dedicated, loyal talent that is being overlooked. So, hey, manager, this diversity thing is to help you at ease your talent shortage, number one. Number two, are you having big challenges on managing all the dilemmas of COVID and you know, talent supply chains and just material supply chains, you have dilemmas. You need innovative thinking. You need alternative thinking. You need sort of workarounds. Well, the data tells us that the more diverse and inclusive teams you are, the better uh, you, you create an asset within your team, you know, to really resolve these very production-based challenges that you have. So let's make it relevant to the managers on the why. And number two, we put all these burdens on the managers to become more diverse and inclusive, but we don't enable them. We don't equip them. They don't know about diversity, even when they're well-intended. you got to give them the tools. You talked about reaching out and possibly engaging and recruiting veterans and the disabled. Have you been able to make the connection with good recruitment or good DEI plans result in good recruitment? Have you seen that in some of the companies that you work with? Yes. And by the way, um, I always take a learning moment here. We'd rather not use the word disabled because it sort of defines a person by that thing. 
So even the slight wording change of, you know, people with a disability, so it's not a defining thing about it. It's just something about them, right? And and that's true for a lot of other diversity terminology. But to your question, I absolutely, more and more employees from underrepresented groups and also young employees who grew up with diversity, who value diversity, they pay attention to what the company is doing around DEI because it becomes a criteria for whether I want to work for you. Because it's, you know, are you in alignment with my values around this thing or not? Because even for the white young person, they may not be the underrepresented talent, but they value it and their best friends or even their significant others or their intimate partners or whatever are of that range. They want to see the community they're part of, whether they're white or not, reflected in the place where I work. So absolutely, it is a recruiting uh, tool uh, to, to, for diversity inclusion to have good DNI practices. I had a conversation recently with one small company and the owner was in the process of putting together a DEI plan. And she told me that she wanted the plan to be transparent to her employees. So if you were a person of color or LGBT, you wouldn't even notice a plan is in place. It would seem almost seamless. Is that the goal? Mm, I know your your listeners not seeing my facial expressions, but uh, no, <laughs> um, because, you know, there's a nice intention behind it that it should just be so natural, like the air that we breathe, that we don't have to call attention to it. And, and there it is. But, you know, in a world full of injustice, full of misogyny, sexism, racism, homophobia, you know, ableism, you have to wave the flag that you're doing something different. Because when things just run their course, you know, then, um, and you don't call things out, it's naive to think that, let's just make this transparent, let, people won't even notice that we're doing it. People, you have to call it out. You have to, you know, label it and say, this is diversity, this is inclusion, because it does not happen naturally. So. You know, now, eventually, if you do that, and you do it enough, and it does become part of who you are, great. But I don't know. I mean, just think about your significant others or your best friends or the sports that you love or music that you like. You you like to talk about what, what differentiates and what makes them special, right? And so diversity is what makes – and inclusion makes a place special. Why would we ever stop calling attention to a, a positive feature? All great points. Andres Tapia, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Oh, thanks for the great questions. You have a great voice too. <laughs> thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com. Home